that. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room, all of you dads online. Happy Father's Day. We are so excited to celebrate that with you. You know, Father's Day is a special day. We have Mother's Day earlier in the year, and then you have Father's Day. When my kids were growing up, at one point they asked, when is Kids Day? Right? And all the parents said, Every day, every day, you got it, you got it. So, hey, if your kids are asking you that question, we just helped you out. Now you have the answer. Moms get one, dads get one, kids get 363. Right, there we go. Hey, I did that math in my head really quick. You see that? I also want to acknowledge that Father's Day could be a difficult day for some. For some of you, your dads have passed on. My dad passed on when he was 42 years old. For some of you, your relationship with your father hasn't been a great one. Maybe for some of you, you were abused by your father in unthinkable ways. For some of you fathers, maybe one or more of your kids have strayed and gone off the rails and broken your hearts and now you're estranged from them or you just have a strained relationship. And it's really tough when we focus on a day like today. Others would have a desire to be a father. And for whatever reason, that hasn't happened yet. I want to say to you that we understand that this is a difficult day for some. And we uh, value you. We respect you. And actually, I want to pray for you. For those that are difficult, that this is a difficult day. I want to pray for you right now as we begin the message. Father, thank you for this day. And Lord, I do thank you for all the dads. And Lord, for a time to set aside and honor them. But Lord, for all of those who for whatever reason... This is a difficult day. Lord, I pray a blessing over their lives right now. And I pray comfort, I pray peace, and I pray uh, even healing for broken relationships, restoration, Lord, whatever it may be that is needed. Lord, I pray for those that would struggle today and ask you to give them the courage, give them the strength, and Lord, just be a, a, a peacemaker in their heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, got a few dad jokes for you from the Bible. So, if you're not a Bible person, by the way, uh, you can uh, look these up later and figure out if I really uh, did them right or not. And I will struggle delivering them just as much as you will struggle listening to them, okay? So, just letting you know. So, here we go. Who was the smallest person in the Bible? Nehemiah, right? Okay, there we go, okay. Here we go. Who was the most business-savvy woman in the Bible? Anybody know? Well, it was Pharaoh's daughter because she went down to the bank of the Nile and pulled out a little profit. <laughs> Next. This is probably my favorite one. What kind of person was Boaz before he got married? Ruthless. Okay, some of you already got that. Good job, good job. So this one will have to be my favorite, favorite one. What? Oh, there's an extra one. Why, why did Samson try to avoid arguing with Delilah? Oh, my goodness. Because he didn't want to split hairs. Right. <laughs> and then finally, does anyone need an ark? I know a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow, I told you it would be just as painful for me. Dads, do you ever feel misunderstood? 
Do you feel like, you know, sad because people don't laugh at your jokes or they make fun of them, call them dad jokes, things like that? Or how about, do you ever say something that literally upsets the household and you have no idea what just happened? Anybody can identify with that? Right? Confess now, right? We'll pray over you later. Wouldn't it be great if you had a list of rules that outlined how you were to get on with your spouse and with your kids, and they were to get on with you? Wouldn't that be great? Well, you've come to the right place. We are in a series called Rules to Live By right now, and we've been examining some rules out of the Old Testament book of Exodus that uh, we, we call the Ten Commandments. And we've learned that there are more rules than that. That's the ones we're looking at. But everybody wants to make rules for our lives. And we call them influencers in today's culture. They want to create rules for you, like lovely, creating rules for us to live by. We also learned that really, though, God is the one that should get to make the rules. And there's several reasons for that. God should get to make the rules because he created us. And because he cares for us, and because he has a much better plan for your life and my life than we do. So God should get to make the rules. And then we learned also that even if we don't like rules, we should be a God follower, not a rule follower. So don't be a rule follower, be a God follower, because he deserves to get to make the rules. So we should follow him, and then by nature we'll end up obeying some of the rules as well. So as we, we began working through the rules, we looked at the first four, which were to do with our relationship with him. And then we started going through the last six, which deal with our relationship with each other. Now today, we are going to be looking at, uh, or if you, have, if you didn't get those, go to our website, look up those uh, different uh, uh, YouTube links and things like that. You can get caught up. Share those, please. But today we're covering the last commandment, and it's not the last commandment in order. This is number five in the list, but we rearranged them a little so we could do this on Father's Day, and plus, in it, Pastor Enneke really wanted to preach about adultery, so we let that come in earlier when it was his turn to preach. But... Uh, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go back to the YouTube and listen to Pastor Enneke and see how he handled that. But this one is unique because it's fundamental to the relationship with the family. You know, the family was the first institution created by God, and it's the most basic unit in society. And essentially, as goes the family, so goes society. So the rule is this, or the command is this. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, or Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 12, honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, as with all the commands, on the surface, it seems pretty simple. Honor your father and mother, right? Simple enough, we could go home, right? Well, of course not. The word honor, we need to understand that. It means to respect and to obey, but it means a little more than that. The Hebrew word indicates a weightiness to it, a heaviness, if you will, to be weighed down with a responsibility, literally is what it means. So it would include not only respect and not only obedience, growing up and things, but it actually would also indicate a long-term responsibility. As the parents get older, 
kids honoring them by taking care of them, by giving to them financially and in other ways. And I can't wait till I'm old so that this will actually start happening. But, uh, and I actually, as I thought about that this morning, actually, I do see it already starting to happen. So I thought, well, no, I'm getting old because I see my kids helping me out too much sometimes. But anyway, thanks for listening. You're cheaper than a counselor. Um, it says you're going to have a long and full life on the land if you honor your mother and father. Now, this is not an individual promise so much. He was talking to the nation of Israel. He said, you collectively will live long in the land that I'm going to give you. Okay, so he's not saying if you obey your parents, you're going to live forever. You're, not, you're going to have that long life. But it goes back to the idea that the, the basic unit of the family is the building block of societies and even nations. And he's saying, if you guys honor this, if you honor your parents, if you have the family thing going on right, then your nation is going to be strong. As goes the family, so goes society. When we look at society and the world around us, and we can see a lot of times, uh, some, some of us would complain about the degradation of society and all that. We're not here to do that today. But... I would ask you the question, when we look at society and the ills of society or the good in society, does it reflect the families? Does it reflect where we've gotten to with families today? Remember when I said earlier, wouldn't it be great if we had a list of rules that we could govern the relationships inside of our family? I used to do that. It was called a chore list, and I put it on the fridge. And when my kids got to be about 18, they said, hey, it's time for that to go because my friend, it's embarrassing when I bring my friends. Actually, they, they were about eight when they said that, that their friends would come over and they would be embarrassed. And I said, well, we don't need a chore list if you just do the chores. But anyway, oh, so society had a list of rules. They called it the Haustelfan. That's a, Martin Luther coined that term to call it uh, a, uh, the Haustelfan. And it was actually a set of rules that the family would live by. And not only the family, but the servants and everybody related, strangers, and even to the gods. Society created those. And there was a Christian version of it as well. And it was a table of rules that showed how all those relationships worked. And they would read that along with the Old Testament. And that's how they would govern their lives. Now, the uh, most uh, complete example that we have of that is in the New Testament book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul wrote uh, about the relationships between husbands and wives and slaves and children and all of those things. In Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 6, 9, it's one of the most complete examples that we have of this. So I want to look specifically, when we're looking at this command to honor your parents, then it's repeated in, in this house to find. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this in Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 1, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, the first thing we need to no notice here is that first word, children. It is amazing that children were actually included. Because in society, children were not seen as that valuable. In Roman society, this went against everything. It was a radical shift from the cruelty that prevailed in the Roman Empire. Unwanted children were discarded. Deformed children were thrown away. And even healthy children were often just seen as a nuisance. Now, some of you are relating to that last one, and you think that's okay. But this was weird. 
to have children as part of this table of rules of how they were to behave. And it says, Paul gives them three reasons that they should honor their parents. Firstly, because you belong to the Lord. Because you are following Jesus, you should honor and obey your parents. That's very simple. That's what he he was saying. Our relationships are transformed when we make a decision to follow Jesus. When he changes us because we decide to follow him, our relationships should change. We should change from being self-focused and self-centered to being loving and kind and others-focused. He also says it's the right thing to do. So not only because you're a follower of Jesus, it's also just plain and simple the right thing to do. So that, that's good news for you guys that aren't Jesus followers and you're thinking you're going to get off of this one because the first part said, because you belong to the Lord. Well, Paul says it's simply the right thing to do. Confucius had a lot to say about this. And he talked about honoring parents, not just when you're young and you have to obey them and all of that, but when they're getting older and caring for them. And this is continued a lot in the Asian world, in Japanese and Korean and Chinese cultures, many times still, they have a very high regard for the elderly, for the parents, much higher than we tend to do in Western society. So Confucius says it's the right thing to do as well. Now, we're not taking our cues from Confucius, just in case anybody is confused about that, all right? Yeah, that was another dad joke. Come on. We're not taking our cues from Confucius if anybody's confused. Right, there we go. Oh, tough crowd today, guys. Tough crowd. Did you? Don't worry. Uh, Lastly, he says, because you belong to Jesus, because it's the right thing to do, it's also a commandment. It's part of God's law. And then he says this in verse 3. It says, if you honor your mother and father, father and mother, Things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. So it's a commandment with a promise. It's repeated from Exodus chapter 20. Now, again, this is not a guarantee of a long life, but it is a guiding principle. And it was very practical back in the day when Exodus was written. Because if you disrespected parents, guess what happened to you as a kid? You got stoned to death, okay? So you're not going to live a long life if you're not honoring your mother and father, right? So it's very practical. Paul frames it a little differently. He's not framing it, framing it as a threat, but as a promise that if you do this, things will go well with you. Think about it practically. If your parents taught you, do not play in traffic, you're still alive today, right? Does that make sense? If they taught you not to use illicit drugs and do other things that are going to be harmful to you physically, and injurious to you, then you're okay today. You're living longer because you practically listened to them. All right? So, fathers, parents, moms, you can go home today. Your kids are over in kids' men. I don't know what they're learning, uh, but uh, uh, they're learning about Jesus. But if we go home today, you can tell your kids, hey, you want to have a long life? You want things to go well for you? The preacher said, obey me, honor me. All right, so you can take that home with you. But now for fathers and the rest of parents, look at what Paul says here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Fathers, do not provoke. Now, this is 
directed towards fathers. But I would suggest to you that it can be moms as well, especially in our society today where parental responsibilities are, are shifted around. But I believe Paul's writing specifically to fathers because fathers struggle with this more than moms would. I think moms have a, a more natural inclination not to provoke their kids to anger. I think fathers enjoy provoking their kids to anger. And you're laughing not because that's funny, but because it's true. You didn't laugh at my other jokes, and now you're laughing at a truism. Good night, people. Anyway, so what I want to do today is I want to help you. It says don't provoke your kids. I want to help you fathers today to learn how to frustrate your kids, all right? So for the next few minutes, I'm going to teach you how you can frustrate your children. If you want to frustrate your kids, first of all, don't let them be kids. Okay? Kids are so immature, aren't they? Anybody ever tell your kids, would you just grow up? They're kids, right? You want to frustrate them. Don't acknowledge their kids. Don't let them be kids. Then, secondly, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. About not letting them be kids. You ever look at your kids and you say, when I was your age? <laughs> yeah. You want to frustrate your kids? Don't acknowledge that things can change. Right? Don't acknowledge that they live in a different world than you did. Right? When I was your age. You also want to frustrate your kids here. Do this one. Put unreasonable demands on them. Okay? Make preschoolers share their toys. All right? Seriously. Do you know that kids, until they're about seven or eight years old, psychologically, they cannot understand the concept of sharing. They may mimic it, and they may actually be obedient to you and and work hard to try But when you demand that of them, that's an unreasonable demand. Another unreasonable thing maybe is to go tell them to keep their room clean or go clean your room. And you know what that means. You know that means military corners on the bed and all the toys put in the places they belong and and everything. They walk in their room and they actually think it's clean. And you can't make a pathway to the dresser or the bed or anything else, but they really believe it's already clean. Put an unreasonable demand on them to understand it the way you do. And to make it the way you want it. Here's another one. Make them sit for a really long time. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, I love kids. And you know, why why we do kids men the whole time during church? Because we know it's a really long time. And we know that it is not a reasonable thing for kids just to sit and be quiet and pay attention and fold their hands in their lap and all that. And I got my knuckles wrapped and my uh, backside smacked so many times when I was a kid for that. Anyway, because I didn't just sit. And then here's another one. Had the grandkids over last night. Had all the kids over and the grandkids. And my uh, uh, granddaughter, Wyatt, who is eight months old yep yep hey I got it right she was so grumpy I'm like well it's up with this kid so I'm going boo 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 ah you know all these things to make her happy because I want kids to be happy they have no reason to not be happy unless they're teething yeah 
I'd be grumpy too if my mouth hurt the way hers did. But we expect our kids to be happy because they don't have it that hard. They think they have problems now and all this stuff, and we think they should be happy all the time. But friends, we aren't happy all the time. We're asking them to do something unreasonable, to do something we can't do, even ourselves. And then here we go. You want to frustrate your kids? Make sure that you are harsh and cruel. All right? When, when they draw you a picture and you can't figure out what it is, make fun of it. All right? When they can't kick the footy properly, have a go at them. Mock them. But be careful because they could still play for Essendon one day. <laughs> make sure you do all this stuff publicly, making fun of them so that everyone else can enjoy their mistakes as well. Here we go again, how to frustrate your kids. Be inconsistent and unfair. Don't keep your promises. Kids will be frustrated if you do that. And then show favoritism. Hey, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister or your cousin or the kids down the street or the pastor's kids? Because they're, well, no, don't, don't be like the pastor's kids. <laughs> and then finally, you want to frustrate your kids? Use your authority to abuse the child. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I'm bigger than you. You have to do what I say. You want frustrated kids? There you go. There's the formula for it. How many want frustrated kids? Okay, you don't want them. Oh, somebody's waving back there. Okay, okay. Well, for the rest of you, I actually want to flip this now, and I want to show you how you can help your kids flourish. Because I don't think most of us want to frustrate our kids. Well, the second half of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. How to help your kids flourish. First of all, accept your responsibility. Accept your responsibility, parents, for that. That word, that phrase, bring them up, that's actually a word that means to accept your responsibility to nourish or to feed them. And that's not just food. That's also spiritually. Now, we can get a lot of help with raising kids these days. And even today, we asked you as a congregation to commit to helping all these families, right? And send them all your money and things like that. So we, we do need help. But we can't abdicate the responsibility we have as parents. If you're a parent today, it's still your responsibility. Even if we have great kids men programs and you send them to a great school, it's still your responsibility. You can't pass that on. When you accept your responsibility, you need to spend time with your kids. And we hear the whole thing about quantity versus quality. The answer is yes. Okay, Give them quantity and give them quality both. The quantity, being home, doesn't matter if you're not present, all right? So when you're home, maybe put the devices away, put the emails away, all this stuff, and actually play on the floor with the kids, do something like that. And the quality time, you, you can have lavish holidays and all that that you've planned and everything and take the kids, but if they don't know you because you're never there, they're going to be on holiday with a stranger. And that quality time isn't going to matter as much. So accept our responsibilities. Then bring them up in the discipline and instruction. So here we go. Help your kids flourish. Dare to discipline. Give them training with correction. We all learn through discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Discipline is a touchy, touchy subject in our world today. 
And I'm not going to tell you how to discipline your kids, whether we should be doing spankings or whether we should do timeouts or yelling. But what I am going to tell you is that not disciplining your kids will frustrate your kids. They'll think that you don't care. They'll think that you don't love them. So however you need to work out this discipline thing, work it out and be very intentional. Make decisions about discipline before the discipline is needed. Okay, And then when you do discipline, it should be thought through. It should be slow. In fact, you've heard count to 10. If you're angry, count to 10 before you discipline a child or whatever, right? You know why? Because if you count to 10 before you do it and you end up killing the child, then it's premeditated. Right? Okay. Another joke. Wow, wow. <sighs> you guys online are laughing a lot, right? The motive has always got to be correction, not to make us feel better. When we, motive, when we discipline out of anger, that's, uh, uh, that's not for correction and for instruction for the kid. Then, then uh, patient instruction. If you want to help your kids flourish, give them patient instruction, teaching them how to think, not what to think, giving them a go. We frustrate them when we try to do everything for them. If you've got kids, you know that very early on, uh, they want to know, I do it right? No, I do it myself. No, I don't need your help. And they need your help desperately. But you wait until they ask for it. You wait until they, they want it. And if we're going to give our kids patient instruction, I think there's two words that we need to really let soak in right now. Patient instruction looks like this. Stimulation, okay? Asking questions, teaching them to ask questions because we learn when we answer questions. We learn when we ask questions, not just giving them the list of rules that says you do all these things, tick, 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 tick. But why? Why is that important? Help them understand. So stimulation, make them think, help them think, and simulation. We set the example in front of them. What they see is what they will do. I know I talk to so many people, and I know I experienced it in my own life. All the bad things that your parents did or your aunties did or your grandparents did, you, you look at all those bad things and say, I will never do that, right? And then what happens? Yeah, my mom was a yeller. I'm never going to be a yeller. Guess what I was when my kids were little? I was a yeller. And some of you still think I'm a yeller probably. Don't. Act out things you don't want your kids repeating. Simulation. Live the way you want them to live. So what do we do with all this? Children should honor their parents. The question comes to mind because we talked about the people that have uh, struggled. This is a difficult day for maybe because your parents weren't great parents. How do we honor a dishonorable parent? How can we possibly do that? You might say, say to me, hey, you don't understand the abuse I endured. You don't understand the lack of care that I got. You don't understand that they don't even care if I'm alive today. And that's hard. And as I said, we pray for, for you and to, to, to get through all that. But there's two things that you can do. To how to honor a dishonorable parent. First of all, respect the position. The person may not be respectable at all as a person. They may do the wrong thing. But God has put them in that position. And because of that, you can respect the position even if you can't respect the person. 
okay? That's easy enough, I think. Positionally, we can respect. Here's the hard one. Not only respect the position, but love the person. And you're back to, hang on, you don't know this person. You don't know what they did to me and everything. I know that we are called as people to love everyone in their faults, at their worst. God loved all mankind, all human beings. He sent Jesus to die for all human beings because he loved the person, no matter how bad they are. So friends, if you're in that position today, like I encourage you, if you don't take anything else home, if you're one of those that struggles because of the situation that you're in, respect the position and love the person just like you would love anyone else that you're called to love. You know, that distinction is so important because loving the person is not always going to be be easy or, or respecting the person is not always going to be easy but you can't always love with the help of the Holy Spirit so parents tell your kids hey honor me respect me but kids fathers mothers don't frustrate them help them flourish so that they can grow up to be the parents that you wish that you were wouldn't that be great father thank you so much for the day thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to have a bit of a chat around parenting today. Lord, for those of us that are parents, thank you for the kids. Help us as we we try to navigate that tricky uh, journey. Lord, you know we don't always get it right. We admit we don't always get it right. Thank you for your grace when we don't. And Lord, help us transfer that same grace to them when they don't get it right. And Lord, again, for those that are struggling, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to respect the position that you put in place and then to love the person even with their faults. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.